the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday morning, the 30th morning, the penultimate morning of the month of March. Yes, look that one up uh, in the year of our Lord 2020. Thanks for being with us today. Coming up on the program, Congressman Jim Jordan will be with us as he is each and every Monday. Schedule allowing, of course. In fact, that schedule has him uh, a little bit behind schedule today. Instead of his normal 948 appearance, Congressman Jordan will be with us in the 10 o'clock hour at about 1035. Maybe that'll be good news for 10 o'clock hour listeners. The audience always turns over about every 13 minutes, generally speaking, in radio. Um, so uh, people who don't normally hear Jim Jordan at 948 will get an opportunity to if they are listeners in the 10 o'clock hour. You, of course, are cordially invited to listen to both hours in full, and that way you will uh, uh, you will make sure that you do not miss the congressman. So he will be joining us at ten thirty five this morning. Between now and then, it's all you and me. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Either one of those numbers will get you to me. You may also tweet to me or Facebook to me. And I'm going to get back to adding Parlor and other uh, socials that I am trying to help build up, but have been really, really lax on in recent weeks and months. I'm going to try to build that up as we go. But for now, Twitter and Facebook at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, and no underscores. So the President of the United States has extended the range. Remember, we were told 15 days to flatten the curve. That has now been extended by about a month. The president says we have to extend the social distancing guidelines and thus the quote-unquote lockdowns, quarantines, limitation, limited movement, etc., whatever you want to call it, um, shelter in place, stay at home, all of the things that they, they've been called around the country. 
in various states, you know, each governor calls it something different, I suppose. But the president says, whatever you call it, it's going to happen and it's going to continue for at least another couple of or uh, at least another month, rather, instead of the couple of weeks that it was originally designated to be. He spoke yesterday about this. It was uh, kind of an interesting press conference. He had some showdowns with different reporters on a couple of issues, which I find just to be personality clashes. Uh, Look, the President of the United States is abrasive. There's no doubt about it. He hates reporters. Reporters hate him. I don't think it's in that order, by the way. I think it's the other way around. Reporters and media hate Donald Trump so doggone much that they make up stories about him. They tell fake, they present fake news about him and so on and so forth. It makes him bristle so much he hates them back. And it gets testy and it gets kind of ugly. And sometimes it gets a little bit maybe non-productive for the president. Uh, it's hard to blame him though because of the way they bait him and the way they goad him. Uh, sometimes he is not his own best friend. Sometimes he can be his worst own enemy, uh, because the reporters do. They try to troll him. They try to goad him into certain things and then he goes off on them. So it happened yesterday a little bit. I'm not going to focus on the personality clashes though. I'm going to focus on the substance of what was said. And the most important substance here is the president declared that the peak in the death rate in this uh, Chinese coronavirus pandemic is likely to hit in about two weeks. And he said, as a result, the social distancing guideline will extend for about four more weeks until April 30th. He admitted that the Easter prediction that he had made before wasn't exactly a prediction. He said it was more of an aspiration. And I liked it. I said it then, and I'm going to say it again now. I liked it. I believe in hope. I believe in optimism. I believe it's wrong, quite frankly, for people to say, how can you dare tell people that it might be Easter? Are you going to send your your you know, your know family to church on Easter with all of those people? Are you going to buy that as the be-all, end-all? He never said it was be-all, end-all. What the president said was is that he hopes to put America back to work by Easter or at least begin phasing in businesses reopening and putting people back to work by Easter. And now he's just reaffirming it was aspirational, but not a carved in stone type of uh, you know plan. And it certainly was not a crystal ball prediction. It was what he hoped for. And I like giving hope, even though it looks like it's going to be a little longer now. I would rather look optimistically Rather than, you know, constantly thinking we're all dying, this is the Black Plague, and uh, everybody is going to be stuck like this forever. So now the new number, or the new day, rather, is uh, April 30th. The modeling estimates, the president said that the peak in death rate is likely, or excuse me, the modeling estimates, that the peak in death rate is likely to hit in two weeks. I will say it again, the peak, the highest point, remember this, is likely to hit in two weeks. This is a direct quote. Therefore, we will be extending our guidelines to April 30th to slow the spread. Earlier hope that the country would reopen was just an aspiration. We can expect that by June 1st, we will be well on our way to recovery and a lot of great things will be happening. Again, that is also aspirational. He's not saying that everything is fixed by June 1st, but he hopes And I will do this right now. I'll make the sign of the cross on live radio. I pray that he's right. Because I don't know how many months of economic shutdown, not slowdown. In fact, not even slowdown or shutdown, but quite frankly, economic recession. I don't know how many months of that we can stand. The economy is going to continue to recede. There will be negative growth over the course of all of these months that America, America's businesses are shut down. 
And I will tell you this, too. I was championing the $2 trillion package, the relief package that the uh, government put forth, the federal government put forth, that, of course, Nancy Pelosi and her uh, Democratic thugs on the uh, House side of the aisle tried to uh, torpedo and turn into the Green New Deal light. Um, I championed it, and I still do. I want more money in American pockets to try to help deal with the uh, economic calamity they're facing right now. I do support it, but it's not going to be enough. Not even close. People are going to blow through $1,200 per American adult in very short order when they got to pay rent and they've been laid off. they got to pay their mortgages and they've been laid off. they got to pay their health insurance premiums so they have coverage for their kids and they've been laid off. Or whatever the case might be, uh, that money's going to go very fast. So if it is not turned around or we are not moving forward in the month after the April 30th, the new kind of guideline that the president and his team have put forth here, which is April 30th, if you know, and then that's another month. The entire month of May would be spent getting back to where we need to be. As he said, then by June 1st, we would be well on our way to recovery. If we're not, I just don't know how much this, this country can take. Uh, I don't know how much we as people can take. I don't know how the uh, bills are going to get paid all over the place. Businesses, which are in precarious situations already, uh, are going to shudder if they have to go through this for two months or three months. God forbid it goes any further than that. And by the way, I must say this. Not that high school sports are the be-all, end-all for anybody, I mean, they are very important to those of us who are parents of high school kids who play sports. But I bring this up just to kind of give you an, an idea of that, you know, what the president here is is optimistically hoping for with this June 1st prediction isn't shared by everyone. The Ohio High School Athletic Association found this out yesterday. The OHSAA is preparing plans. Now, they're not saying it's done but they are preparing and making their contingency plans to start the fall sports season, perhaps as many as three weeks late if it starts at all. Now, fall sports don't begin until August 1st. That's when practices begin. Cross country, which is the earliest sport to start, they start actually competing in the middle of August. Football and volleyball begin in the beginning of November. Uh, or excuse me, November, where did I say that? Excuse me, that's uh, that's basketball. The beginning of, uh, of uh, September. And they're talking about delaying the start of the seasons by perhaps as many as three weeks. Now, I, again, why do I bring that up? It's not about the sports. It's about that's a, that's a model that the OHSAA is working under, or at least preparing for. And so that would indicate that this whole thing is going to continue through the entire summer. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear something like that. I get very depressed. I got depressed when I heard that yesterday. I, I, don't, know, I don't know that our country, I don't know that our, our economy can stand, can withstand such an extraordinary blow to the point where businesses are shut down for, well, already all of March we have dealt with this, all of April, all of May, June, and July and into August or September? Are they really projecting that? Again, that's just one particular state organization that is saying we may have to delay the start of fall sports. That means that whoever they're talking to is saying this could be something that lasts throughout the summer. 
President Trump is optimistically, which is why I will salute him, saying, we expect that by June 1st we'll be well on our way to recovery. Let's hope that that's the right one and not the one that the OHSAA is planning for, which would mean, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm trying to describe and I'm trying to process in my own head how the U.S. economy, meaning U.S. small businesses and their employers, the vast majority of American workers work for small businesses, not giant corporations. I'm trying to figure out how they survive if this has to go on all summer. If what we have, are dealing with right now, last week, what was it on Thursday? 3.3 million new uh, jobless claims were filed. 3.3. That number will get, I don't know. There, we're certainly going to be into the tens of millions if we do this again You know, throughout the month of April, do this throughout the month of May. We'll get into, at some point, I would imagine, perhaps as many as 100 million Americans out of work. That cannot happen. I know we have to slow this spread. I understand the arguments about not overwhelming the medical system. I understand the goal, of course, is to protect and save as many lives as possible to the extent that they can indeed be saved. Absolutely, and I believe in that. We have to try everything we can to save people. I mean, life is precious, all of it, right? And to my really extremist friends who who say that, you know what, if we got to sacrifice some people in order to get the economy running again, then then we have to do that. I, uh, you're probably pro-life if you listen to this show, unless you listen to this show just to get get triggered and uh, and go back to your liberal friends and say, "Did you hear what that nut job France said?" If you listen to the show because you like it, chances are you're pro-life. If you're pro-life, you're pro everybody, every life, and that means you don't just accept a certain number of deaths from coronavirus in order to get people back to work again. You want to make sure to save everybody, so that has to be priority number one. But then you also have to weigh that against the number of people who are going to die if an American economy collapses and goes into recession, deep recession, maybe even depression, through four or five months of complete economic inactivity, of manufacturers shut down, retailers closed, Restaurants and bars only available, well, restaurant side available for carryout, which is a small fraction of what their actual revenue would be if they were open for dining. I mean, all of these things, the tourist industry, the tourism industry, rather, hotels, airplanes, the airlines are just taking a bath. I, I, I just, I'm just going out, you know, to, to prove a point here. Yes, we want to save every life. And yes, we have to measure how many lives are being lost due to the virus versus how many lives could be lost due to a complete economic depression. And if what some state agencies are looking at, if they're prescient, if they're if they have the foresight here and they think that we really might extend this into the fall, if they're right, friends, we're in some serious trouble, far more than perhaps we realize. All right, I welcome you to join me at 216-901-0945, I, walk, I want your thoughts. I want your expectations. I want your analysis of what we have heard. The president now says we're going to go for another month on this uh, shelter-in-place type guidelines uh, that we're dealing with right now. Businesses are not going to open up for at least another month. We're going to April 30th, which is one month from today. Uh, and then beyond that, well, we'll have to see what it looks like on the ground. 
And uh, I want your thoughts. 216-901-0945. The Bob France Authority. Right back after this. Okay, 926, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. So I'm going to get a couple of calls here before the bottom, but one of the things that we need to do, and I'll do this after the bottom of the hour news, is put these grim projections into some context. And I want to compare the numbers that they are forecasting or you know, the worst-case slash best-case scenarios that the members of the uh, president's coronavirus you know white house task force that they're presenting i want to compare that to the rest of the world because it is important Um, we are getting some disturbing numbers make no mistake about it they're talking about literally a million deaths uh in in worst case scenarios you know one to two million deaths in the united states not worldwide and now dr burks who has previously i believe been more you know, the more voice of reason and calm in this whole thing. Now, she is saying that the best case scenario would be 100,000 to 200,000 deaths. We have 2,000 worldwide now, or I'm sorry, uh, in the United States now. Worldwide, nobody has, uh, you know, uh, 10,000 or more. And we're talking about 100 to 200,000 deaths in the United States alone. That's the best case scenario. What do these numbers mean? How reliable are they? We're going to have to dig into that a little bit coming up after the top, uh, bottom of the hour news. But for now, as promised, let's go to, get to a couple of calls. Uh, Matthew is in Medina, wants to get in Good first. Good morning, Bob. Go ahead, Matthew. Good morning. Um, I am uh, 93 years old now. I, w- I was born in 1927, I sw- and it was a terrible time. And... Uh, my dad lost his job, and there was eight people living in the house all together. And we scrounged around the neighborhood. I lived over by the packing houses in Cleveland. I'm um, near West 65th. And uh, we, uh, we uh, had the gas was shut off. The lights were shut off because we couldn't pay them. The milkman stopped the milk. And uh, so we were really in dire straits. And uh, what we got in 1934, I think it was now, if my memory serves me. My dad got on WPA. You know what that was. It was the Work Project Administration, and uh, everybody that got on WPA was paid $15 a week. And my father worked, you've been down to uh, Brookside Park, to the mm-hmm. zoo. My dad worked on that Monkey Island, and they built all them ball diamonds down there. This was yeah. all done for $15 a week. And, geez, I'm telling you, we thought we were on Easy Street. We had the gas turned on. We had the lights turned on. Uh, my father, they saved up a, a little bit of money out of each $15, a few bucks at a time. But he bought a 1930 Model A Ford to get back and forth to work because he was paying another man 25 cents per oh, I, I need to fast forward to today. I need to fast and, forward to uh, right now. And uh, really... Uh, we survived, and the people that have got to do is back this president is what they got to do. He's doing a fantastic job, and thank you for your time, Bob. My, my pleasure. Back. And by the way, Matthew, if you had not told me you were 93 and you uh, called the other day and I thought the same thing, I would never guess that. You sound vibrant, you sound vigorous, you sound wonderful, and I appreciate that. Thank you, well, sir. Well, that's from working outside. It was a letter carrier in the Postal Service. <laughs> hey, and well, God bless you for that, and, and thank you so much for your phone call. Yeah, no, I know the perspective is, is very important, if, and there are a lot of stories that people probably will use if we go into a depression to say, look, we survived it then, but but there was so much pain, and there were a lot of people who didn't survive then. 
I don't know the exact you know suicide rate of that time, but the president was talking about that, that if we have to extend this thing into the summer and beyond, there are going to be people who just go get to their wits' end. They can't provide anymore. Uh, they can't take care of themselves and their family. And these kinds of things lead to some really, really unintended uh, consequences that do have to be considered. So, yeah, will some people survive and push forward if they have to go through what was this country went through and uh, uh, you know with the crash in 29? Yes. Uh, will a lot of people not? Yes. Will a lot of people's health be in grave danger? Yes. So we need to talk about all of that as we figure out the proper response to this. All right, 930, news time now. More of your calls after AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 936, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. A reminder, if you missed the start of the show, if you normally tune into this half hour to hear Congressman Jim Jordan, you will be disappointed. However, if you are diligent and patient, you will hear Jim Jordan. He's uh, bumped to the 1035 segment this morning, so Congressman Jordan will be with us, and uh, we will discuss all of this with respect to the federal response, et cetera, et cetera, to the coronavirus. Now, there's so many different angles here that I want to cover. I want to get to the numbers. You just heard them in the newscast that Dr. Anthony Fauci of the President's, the White House uh, Coronavirus Response Task Force, said that there could be anywhere between 100 to 2,000 coronavirus-related deaths in the United States, even though right now we have about 2,000, 2,500. Dr. Deborah Burks, who is also on the team, uh, working with Dr. Fauci and with Vice President Pence and all of the experts from CDC and so on and Health and Human Services and so on and so forth, um, repeated that number but also said that's best-case scenario. Worst case scenario, she said, would be between 1.6 million and 2.2 million deaths in the United States. She said that's the projection if you do projection if you do nothing. If you do nothing, we're going to have one to two million people or two and a half million people uh, die from this. If we do the right things. And that is all of this lockdown, shelter in place, stay at home, et cetera, et cetera. That's when we get to the best case scenario. The quote from Dr. Burks said, um, that's where we come up with, if we do things together well, almost perfectly, we could get it in the range of 100,000 to 200,000 fatalities, and we don't even want to see that. The best case scenario would be 100% of Americans doing precisely what is required, she said, but we're not sure based on the data that you're sharing from around the world and seeing these pictures that all of America is responding in a uniform way to protect one another. So we have to factor that in, she says. Cities that don't practice social distances, that don't stay at home, that believe you can have social interactions, that believe you can have gatherings at homes of 20 people and even 10 people, that is going to spread the virus even if everyone looks well, end quote. So that was from Dr. Burks. Now, the problem, of course, first of all, that is horrific to think that that might be anywhere near true. But the problem is, again, how verifiable are the models given the fact that they are based oftentimes upon countries that started dealing with this first, meaning were hit by it first, obviously starting in China where the Wuhan coronavirus originated, and going toward uh, Europe where, of course, it struck next. Um, How reliable is the data coming from those particular countries? And the answer is we don't necessarily know. Boris Johnson who, of course, is tested positive, has tested positive. He is infected, the uh, uh, U.K. prime minister. 
He and his government is said to be furious over China's handling of the coronavirus. One British official said yesterday that Beijing would face a reckoning when the COVID-19 crisis was over. In other words, there will be revenge. Some sort of sanctions, economic sanctions, international condemnation of some kind is going to happen because of what Beijing did here. The newspaper, the um, uh, Daily Mail, says scientists have told Boris Johnson that China could have downplayed uh, its number of confirmed cases of the coronavirus factor by a factor of the coronavirus rather by a factor of 15 to 40 times. China has reported 81,439 cases at the time of this writing, which was yesterday. Officials also apparently believe China is trying to expand its economic power through offering help to other countries that are trying to combat the virus that they released, or at least did not do enough to contain, if you want to put it in the the passive sense. We don't know that they actively, intentionally released it, but we do know that they did not do enough to stop it out of concern for their own international reputation, and that they did cover it up. The uh, Daily Mail added that Johnson's government, Boris Johnson's government, was so angry with Chinese, uh, China's handling of the crisis that the prime minister could abandon his decision to let Chinese telecoms company uh, Huawei uh, develop the U.K.'s 5G wireless network. 5G is another issue that we're not going to talk about right now. Uh, Boris Johnson angered President Trump by giving Huawei a limited but significant role in developing and improving that country's wireless infrastructure, and that could be something that they use, again, to strike back at China when all of this is over. Let's talk a little bit more about numbers coming from China. Let's talk about whether or not that 81,000 is is even close to being accurate. Because Wuhan residents, according to reports from, uh, from Radio Free Asia, Wuhan residents estimate, based on calculations of cremations that have taken place in that city and in that province, and urns now being returned to families indicate that between 42,000 and 46,000 died in that city and in surrounding areas in the two and a half months of their lockdown. Far more than the official figure of 2,500 deaths. Now think about that for a, for a minute. As a matter of fact, I want to make sure I have all of my accurate numbers here, so let me, conf, uh, let me consult, because I was referencing the United States and its death toll, toll thus far. Yeah, our deaths is just under 2,500 um, on, uh, let's see, 142,000 cases. China reported, reporting as of today, so this writing obviously is a day or two old, 3,300 deaths on 81,000 cases. So I want to make sure I have a the right point of comparison here but back to radio free uh, asia and their article they have reported 80 china's chinese officials have reported 81,000 cases and 2,500 deaths as of the time of this writing but wuhan residents believe that that number is anywhere between 15 and 40 times light light Social media users have been doing some basic math to figure out the daily capacity in Wuhan or in that surrounding uh, the surrounding uh, areas. And uh, the, the uh, news website Cakesin.com reported that 5,000 urns had been delivered by supplier to the Hankou funeral home in one day alone, which would be double the official number of deaths in the entire country of China. Funeral homes have informed families they'll be trying to complete cremations before traditional grave-tending festival of King Ming if I'm saying that correctly, 
uh, on April 5th, which would indicate a 12-day process beginning uh, March 23rd. Such an estimate would mean that 42,000 urns would be given out during that time. Another popular estimate in China, based on the Korea, this is again, radio, this is not official Chinese government uh, figures. These are people who are trying to report the truth rather than the propaganda from the Chicoms is the cremation capacity of the funeral homes, which run a total of 84 furnaces with a capacity of over 24 hours of 1,560 urns citywide, assuming that one cremation takes one hour. The calculated results there would be 46,800 deaths. So, in other words, this isn't uh, a group of xenophobic Americans trying to say China lies about the number of people who are dead there and the number of cases. These are Chinese people. These are free, well, free, nobody's really free in China, but these are Chinese people who are actually getting truth out in spite of the propaganda and the crackdown on free speech from the Chicoms. And that's extraordinarily important. You know who is speaking to this? Some prominent American senators. Marco Rubio tweeted yesterday, Some in our media cannot contain their glee and their delight in reporting that U.S. has more coronavirus cases than China. Beyond being grotesque, it's bad journalism. We have no idea how many cases China really has, but without any doubt, it is significantly more than what they admit to. Marco Rubio is, of course, spot on, 100% correct. Ted Cruz followed up, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, followed up on Rubio's tweet, retweeting it with these words. It's even worse. We know China is lying. On March 1st, China had 80,026 reported cases. On March 28th, it had 81,439. Does anyone believe this highly contagious virus just stopped in China on March 1st, right as it became a pandemic worldwide. And American media, for money, willingly repeats the lies. So you've got, you've got some people in some prominent positions, Senator Rubio, Senator Cruz, responding to and calling out the American media, which I think Rubio's right. Some in the media cannot contain their glee that there are more cases of coronavirus in the U.S. than there are in China. And you know who else? Forget about the media for a second. You know who else can't contain their glee? Hillary Clinton. The woman defeated by Donald Trump against all odds in November of 2016, who has not stopped being a bitter, shrieking harpy ever since, actually tweeted over the weekend, linking to a story that says the United States has more cases of coronavirus than anywhere else in the world right now, she actually tweeted of Donald Trump, quote, he always said he would put America first, end quote. Yes. She basically blamed Donald Trump, saying this is what he wanted. He said he'd put America first. America is first in coronavirus cases. She's celebrating that number, first of all, as Rubio said, that's grotesque. And all of the CNN and MSNBC and Washington Post and online liberal journalists who are repeating that are equally grotesque, but also they are equally horrible journalists. Because if you believe those numbers from China, 
then you would believe anything. I mean, honestly, there's, there's just, it's beyond the pale. There is no hope for you. Now, having said all of that, can we talk about the conditions in China right now? Because according to multiple news reports, including the Daily Mail, the Chinese wet markets have reopened. While the United States still hasn't seen its peak number of cases and deaths, according to our government, which is going to be about two weeks away, we are told. And um, Dr. Burks of the White House Task Force said that no American city will be spared having a peak number, that all cities will have this massive infectious, uh, you know, high infectious rate coming over the next two weeks. And President Trump has expanded, of course, the stay-at-home orders or the stay-at-home guidelines for another 30 days until April 30th. As we prepare for the worst, China is reopening the wet markets that are believed to be responsible for the origination of this disease and its contamination of humans and thus the human-to-human contamination that has led to this pandemic. The Daily Caller sharing this story. Live animals are still for sale in Chinese food markets that reopened after the country recently declared victory over the coronavirus. That's what the Chai Coms do. Cages full of cats and dogs waiting for slaughter. And the unsanitary preparation of animals is again reportedly a common sight in Chinese food markets, often called wet markets, according to in-country correspondents with the Daily Mail. China ordered its wet markets be shut down in January after facts emerged suggesting the coronavirus was first transmitted to humans via bats and other live animals sold in the often filthy places of commerce, according to Business Insider. However, now that China says it's beaten the virus, which we know is a lie, the market seemed to have resumed business as usual. In other words... And here's a correspondent in Guilin, a city in southwest China, telling the Daily Mail, this is one of the Daily Mail news correspondents, they photographed a single advert, or excuse me, a sign, beg your pardon, they photographed a sign advertising bats, snakes, spiders, lizards, and scorpions for sale. And they advertised them as remedies for common illnesses. And of course, it is believed by many that an infected bat or a number of infected bats being consumed by Chinese people is what led to the infection and the outbreak in the first place. And now the Chinese government has allowed these, I can't even begin to use fine words to describe how disgusting what I just read to you is, particularly as it pertains to animals that we see as pets in our lives. Uh, but they have allowed this, these to be re- reopened. It's It's... It, it really is beyond the pale. All right, that's a lot of the terrible, horrible news. I do want to get to your phone calls, but I also have some good news that I do want to share with you on the other side of this time out right here on AM 1420, The Answer. I know you want to get on the air, and I do want to take your calls as quickly as I can. But just real quick, I said I wanted to give you some positive news after all of that stuff from China and all of the negativity. Hydroxychloroquine is coming. 
Help is on the way. We continue to hear more and more and more extraordinarily positive results from clinical testing and trials of the anti-malaria drug that President Trump touted as a game changer potentially weeks ago only to be excoriated by the liberal media, saying, how dare he peddle unsubstantiated hope like that? How dare he peddle hope in such dark times? We don't know if hydroxychloroquine is going to work or not. How can he call it a game changer? He said it could be a game changer. And guess what? It's becoming one. Over the past couple of days, townhall.com reporter Kevin McCullough reporting on this. Um, I've lost little account of how many people have written to me asking about the clinical trials in New York State about the use of hydroxychloroquine. The trials began last Tuesday. In this column space and much more liberally on uh, Twitter, uh, I and we have attempted to stay up to date on the rapidly developing reports of the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine. It's strange that we should even need to do this because it's unanimous, well, not unanimous, it is almost unanimous. Kevin writes, before the drug was mentioned by President Trump, there had been a robust interest in looking at the replicated results from China, India, South Korea, and France. Sadly, medical authorities didn't really give any credence to the claims until a controlled study in southern France, in which, or which returned a 1 in 10,000 chance that the results were anecdotal or in any way not possible to replicate repeatedly. Dr. Fauci dragged his feet even as that study was becoming public. Then the president mentioned it, and all of a sudden it became a political issue. It should not be. The willingness by anyone of either political party to weaponize an actual solution or a series of solutions to COVID-19 is utterly inhuman. The good news is there is great reason for hope. One, Dr. Fauci asked when, uh, uh, when asked if he would use the hydroxychloroquine cocktail, answered with a resounding yes. He absolutely would, too. France reversed its previous ban on the drug. When the highly esteemed Dr. Didier Raoul uh, released his first survey's findings, the French medical authorities were resistant. As he released an even larger study with more patients and improved results from his initial study, the French public health officials had no choice but to give guidance as to its use. In other words, to allow now it to be prescribed. India's public health guidance granted affirmation for physicians and frontline medical workers to begin taking it as a preventative. This use was the very suggestion recommended as first steps on townhall.com weeks ago, about a week ago. Since our own CDC has cited its prophylactic benefits, our doctors and frontline medical personnel should be taking it now. Four, given the increased acceptance here in the States, not one but as many as seven different pharmaceutical companies have agreed to mass produce as much as 250 million doses by mid-April. That's two weeks from now. Uh, given Dr. Rule's guidance in both of his studies, uh, this would give the globe enough inventory to cure 46 million cases of coronavirus. Presently, we have not yet hit 1 million cases worldwide. Notably, Baird, Novartis, Novartis uh, uh, Teva Farm, uh, stepped up. These are pharmaceutical companies pledging to donate several million doses right out of the chute. Five doctors began prescribing off-label use of this drug, and in doing so, are replicating the clinical results in remarkable fashion. One doctor in Monroe, New York, has treated in excess of 700 patients. As of this writing, he has lost zero patients to death, zero to intubation, and only two to hospitalization. Another doctor in New York City has treated more than 100 patients, zero deaths. And I could go on and on and on about this, and will, especially about the Russian doctor, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, board-certified family practitioner in New York, who has successfully treated 350 coronavirus patients with 100% success 
using a cocktail of drugs, hydroxychloroquine in combination with ZPAC uh, and zinc sulfate. He saw the symptoms of shortness of breath resolved within four to six hours, not days, hours after the treatment. He provides these updates on the treatment after successfully treating 699 COVID-19 patients in New York. In other words, it is working, and the more it is tested and tried, the more that is confirmed. Help is on the way. Let's just not turn it away for political reasons, the way the governors of states like um, uh, Michigan and Nevada have done in outlawing its prescription as treatment for coronavirus. That's right, and the reason they're doing that is orange man bad. They can't allow it to work. All right, much more in hour number two coming right up. AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.